Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of MedTech POV, the podcast brought to you by AdvaMed, the world's largest trade association for medical technology companies. I'm Scott Whitaker, President and CEO of AdvaMed. In this episode, we're joined by Lisa Earnhardt, Executive Vice President of Medical Devices at Abbott. She has a deep background in successfully running a med device startup and then working at the highest levels of Abbott, a global leader in medical technology. She's also incredibly important and an active member of our AdvaMed board, and we really appreciate her leadership there on behalf of the entire medtech industry. We discuss her experience coming up through the ranks of our industry, and she shares Abbott's commitment to and focus on innovative technologies that help patients manage diabetes an issue that's very important to me as well. We'll dig into that and a whole lot more, so thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome, Lisa. It's great to have you on the uh, podcast today. Thanks for the opportunity to to chat. I always like to start out these shows by giving the listener a sense of who the person is behind the resume and the job that you're in right now. So, If you don't mind, Lisa, let's go back to the early part of your life and talk about where you grew up and sort of your journey to where you are today. Yep. I grew up in the cornfields of Illinois, so west of Chicago. Had a great uh, childhood there. Actually was born in Mankato, Minnesota, not too far from the mecca of medical devices in the Twin Cities. I grew up uh, there, did a a lot of different things growing up, had a lot of exposure to a a lot of different fields and interesting things. Some interesting work, I would say. My first job was detasseling corn. That's what happens when you grow up in the middle of the cornfields. And then I took a stint at customer service and worked at a Dairy Queen. So I think pretty early on, I understood the value of hard work of education and really understanding the customer. So needless to say, I was excited to head off to college. Yeah, I guess uh, working in the cornfield means you had to have a work ethic that translated beyond just the daily job, right? That's not an easy task. And you must have learned a lot about work and growth doing jobs like that. Yep. You got a lot of time to think when you're doing work like that. And the Dairy Queen experience, understanding what customers need and how to interact with people. That, you know, that it, it is amazing. This is where the like old adage, like the customer is always right, right, really comes into play, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Now, did I read right that your parents were uh, educators or very much into the education space? You know, very, very much focused in that area. And that's actually something I've continued to invest my time in as an adult, you know, giving back in that field. In fact, at some point when I grew up, I thought I would be a teacher. And so I, you know, have always held a soft spot in my heart for education and, and continue to whether it be volunteer in the classroom, teaching on various campuses, being a volunteer for my alma maters, sitting on advisory boards of my alma maters. So it's definitely an area of passion for me. And your education path after uh, high school, where'd you go to college and, and subsequent education? I came out west to Stanford, so just up the road from where I uh, work and live today. I was an industrial engineer in an undergraduate. After college, I went to, I always had a, le- a love for math and science. So that's the right. history of sort of engineering. And it was it's sort of a great way of like, I think about it as like teaching you a way to solve problems. And I think about my career, that's really what I have focused on, uh, primarily solving problems in healthcare. So I went into work as a management consultant out of college, uh, worked with hospitals and healthcare systems, uh, came back to business school at, at Kellogg at Northwestern in the Chicago area and thought I was done with healthcare at the time. I really wanted to move into technology. So I okay. worked for what at the time was kind of a small startup down in Austin, Texas, Dell Computer, 
which you know the history there. And uh, love the technology piece of it, love the fast pace, love innovation. But at the end of the day, I I was left with a little yearning for something more in terms of the impact I was making. And that's where really MedTech came into play because it was a combination of healthcare, where I really felt I would make an impact, and with technology, which is something as an engineer, I always felt a, a, a liking towards. And so what was your first job after you left Dell and moved into the med tech space? You know, I worked for Guidant. So okay. Guidant had just, which was a leader in cardiovascular medical devices. I was up in the Twin Cities and I was in-house as a as a planner, as an analyst and did a bunch of different jobs there. My job after that was being a field clinical representative. So I was based in the Minneapolis and I covered pacemaker and defibrillator implants in Minnesota, North and South Dakota. Wow. So I got a lot of miles on my car those uh, those years. So you learned a lot about large companies in the medical technology space and the role that they play. And then you shifted, I believe, Lisa, into sort of the small company startup space where you led a company as well. Talk about that journey from a large company to a small company and what it was like to run a small company. Uh, Yes, I had gone to Boston Scientific as part of the Guidant acquisition. So as you know, part went to Abbott and part was acquired by Boston. And I was running the cardiac surgery business. And at the time, as you know, pretty soon after the integration and acquisition of Guidant, we decided it was best to spin off the uh, cardiac surgery business. So at that time was working on spinning it off and the acquiring company, uh, Genega Group, had wanted me to come on board to sort of be a group president of the various businesses that they were going to put together. And at the time I was living in Silicon Valley, which is, you know, where a lot of the venture capitalists are. And so I decided so much of innovation in our field happens in the startup world that I decided it was the perfect time to make the move. So I I made the move to what was a very small startup, Intersect ENT. There were 12 employees at the time, so a very wow. different shift for me. And it was in a different field. So I'd spent all of my career to that point in cardiovascular and made the move into otolaryngology or ear, nose, and throat. Similar technology, drug-looting stent, right. but instead of for the heart, for the sinuses. So it was a whirlwind of activity and learning from day one. As one of 12 employees, you can only imagine my role was very broad and very deep in terms of the things I needed to do to serve the company. But I'm very proud of what we accomplished there and ended up raising several rounds of financing, took the company public, and ultimately had the opportunity to run a public company. And as of the time of this recording, at least as of right now, it is uh, underway of being acquired by Medtronic. So it's great right. to see that technology and company end up in uh, fantastic hands. But I uh, had made the move to, to Abbott, part of which was as I was thinking about my career, and I, I typically think in sort of 10-year increments, I was getting to the point at Intersect that I was okay, really getting an itch in terms of what was next and was really excited about the impact I'd be able to have given the scale of Abbott, given the therapeutic areas in which we plan, which are all chronic diseases that have tremendous impact both on healthcare as well as um, on healthcare spend. And that just felt like for an opportunity, it would stretch me in new ways and it very much has done so. So there's there's definitely learnings from the startup world that I've been able to apply. There's, as I think about kind of getting back to the customer and understanding the customer, like in the startup world, you're really intimate with that customer. And I feel as if with, being able to bring that perspective to Abbott when we have a you know over a hundred thousand employees, just really keeping the customer you know front and center at what we do 
is just as important for us at Abbott as it is yeah. in a in a start startup. So I think you know that's one area. I think you know clearly you know similarities in terms of the importance of innovation and the speed and agility in which you need to work are similar. Oftentimes they aren't the same right. going from a startup to a large company, but the need for moving quickly and meeting the needs that are changing ever so rapidly is, is right. the same. So there's definitely some uh, some themes that I'm taking forward as I've take, sort of taken yeah. over the reins here at Abbott. You know, I've gotten a lot of questions since I started this podcast, particularly from companies at the senior level and some at the CEO level uh, who have listened to the larger company executives talk about their learnings in a larger company. And many of those questions come from small company CEOs or small company aspiring CEOs. So, Lisa, I would ask you, you've been on the large company side, then the small company side as a CEO, back to the large company side. What advice would you give a small company CEO that was in the space, in the range that you were in, about how to weather the challenges that we're seeing now, right, and come through it with a really strong organization? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it comes with focus. And really having an unrelenting focus on what really matters. I would say the the important versus necessarily the urgent. I think we oftentimes get caught up in the urgent and you realize you can keep really busy with that and you lose right. sight of ultimately what's going to move the needle. And that was something that I think played out in spades, especially the last year and a half with COVID. And secondly, I would say just the importance of people. I see that in the role that I have today. I certainly saw that even more so in the startup world, how even just right. one member of the team and their capabilities can make a huge difference. And just making sure you're surrounding yourself with the team that will not only you know help serve your needs of today, but ultimately take you to where you want and need to go. Raising money must be an incredibly difficult thing to do. The rounds of financing you have to go when you're a small company executive. And I can imagine it can be encouraging and then discouraging and quite a roller coaster ride. Is that is that right? And how do you weather those ups and downs? I would say as a startup CEO, you are always raising money. You're in that stage because even if it's, you know, the cadence might be every couple of years, it's always engaging and educating investors along the way. It's, you know, it kind of gets to the say what you're going to do, do what you say you're going to do, you know, review what you've done and kind of, you know, rinse and repeat. Right. So I think it is critically important, both in terms of um, just communication around around that with investors, both existing as well as potential investors is so critically important, as well as really focusing on what I would consider value driving milestones. So it's a little different than in the large corporate environment where we really almost have the luxury, if you will, to um, parallel path a number of things, you know, for right. example, with a new product launch, it's not just about getting the product approved. I can start spending on preparing for commercial readiness and building up inventory. Right. In the startup world, you have to earn the right to get to that next yeah, stage. Right. So you just, you can't, you, you know, and so it's really focusing on what are those, you know, one or two milestones you're going to deliver upon and, and doing just that. And that sort of gets back to my earlier comment about focus and doing right. just a few things and doing them exceptionally well. So you've been at Abbott how long now? You you came over just yeah, over two just years. Like, how many years? Just over two years. Over but two honestly, years. I think kind of like we talk about dog years. I right. think there's something similar with COVID years. 
I, I don't know what the math is, and I'm sure 20 <laughs> years from now we'll look back on this and we'll have there'll be something. I don't think it'll be quite seven years. Isn't that what yeah. a doctor is? But yeah. something like that. At such a unique time. I was trying to recall this morning how long you had been there. So you'd really just been there maybe six months before the pandemic hit, right? Yeah. And so yeah, I was just starting adapting. to feel like Scott that I kind of knew what was going on. I had a sense of, you know, the business and, and where we were and where we needed to head. And then, boom, was starting to get some calls from my team over in China. And, well, you know the rest. That's right. And we all kind of weathered that in many ways individually, but collectively as an AdvoMed community weathered it together, right? And we it hit us all. None of us knew exactly how to respond. But I, I reflect back on that period of time as frustrating and challenging it was, it was also really encouraging to me to see all of you kind of come together to address a global need. And Abbott was right at the front of the line, right? Particularly in the diagnostics and the testing space. Um, talk about that experience of, of leading a company in such a turbulent time and keeping your employees focused and focused on the task at hand and managing your way through that. What lessons did you learn? I think that maybe you'll carry. Yeah. And I would say to echo your point, I think the pandemic actually brought the best out of us as an industry and as yeah. an advomet, as a trade association, because it really did put us in a situation we absolutely had to work together and everyone rolled up their sleeves. And I was right. just very proud to be part of our industry. So then specifically at Abbott, you know, I think Abbott was built for this, right? I yeah. mean, you don't get to be 130 plus years old without having gone through a few crises in your history. And right. certainly uh, we played a significant role, in particular with our role in diagnostic testing, where right. I think we're, gosh, we're probably close to a dozen or so COVID tests right now available around the world for all different kinds of settings. And so... There was no question um, we as a leadership team really had to make some tough decisions in terms of prioritization. Um, it sort of first it came first with in terms of making sure our employees were safe. Like that's where right. it all started. Right. And right. doing that really hard work and making decisions around employee safety. And, you know, how do we approach that early on when there were just more questions than answered? And then it was around prioritization of efforts, right? Because we knew there was a massive amount of work that needed to do to meet the needs from a COVID testing perspective. So we needed to, you know, reprioritize things within Abbott so that we could go all in on testing. And that's absolutely what we did. And I think our employee base really rallied around the cause, you know, there's no question it helped us realize the benefit of Abbott. I just speak specifically to my team. So I, you know, run medical devices. It's about 35,000 employees or so. Clearly, we were some of the most impacted within yeah. Abbott because, you know, procedures that were, I call them non-emergent. I don't call right. them necessarily elective because right. they need to be done. They're for important medical conditions. But, you know, those were delayed or, you know, permanently canceled, right? right? And so tremendous impact to our business. But what was so great is we we're, you know, part of Abbott, which is a diversified portfolio. We were able to ride the storm, if you will, and not just ride it out, but we we're actually able to lean in to right. some of our investing. And so I think that's, you know, we're coming out of this very, very strong. That's really encouraging to hear. I, I remember back again, reflecting back early in, in the pandemic where there was so much focus on testing. And there was also so much concern about procedures being canceled. I would think, Lisa, it would have been a real challenge to keep your 35,000 employees very focused 
on the rest of the business and the importance of keeping that moving forward and their engagement with FDA and the engagement with payers. So when procedures came back on board, you were right there and ready to re-engage. Talk about how you kept people motivated during that time. Yeah, and I think it comes down to sort of a simple adage, but it really did help us through it all. It's like focus on what we can control, right? right? And I think during the pandemic, there were a lot of things that were at a minimum distractors and quite honestly, impacting all of our lives, not just professionally, but personally, right? right? Whether that be working from home, whether it be dealing with, you know, illness um, to the immediate family and friends, whether it be trying to protect those who are compromised, whether it be being impacted because you were, you know, laid off of work. I mean, there were so many things that came up that it was great, you know, to some extent is that we actually could really focus on the wins and focus on continuing to advance innovation. And in some areas, we actually accelerated innovation. I'll take with my uh, neuromodulation team, we treat movement disorders, both for chronic pain and for things like Parkinson's disease. And so in this case, we actually were able to accelerate innovation around establishing a virtual clinic. So really sort of work around digital health that we thought was visionary and something that we were going to work on, you know, three to, you know, that would become a reality three to five years from now. As the pandemic hit, we realized the need was immediate, that we really needed to, you know, accelerate that work because we needed to be able to, you know, enable clinicians to see patients where and when they needed it. And it was oftentimes outside of the four walls of the hospital or the clinic. So that was a great example where we actually accelerated innovation to meet the very needs of the pandemic itself. So incredibly proud of the team. No question full of challenges, right? Especially as we were running clinical trials, if procedures were down, certainly it was more challenging. And so what we did was just focus on the ones that were going to be most impactful in in terms of outcomes. And, you know, as I said, I feel feel good about where we are. As we were chatting before the call, I, you know, kind of was hopeful at this point we'd be able to have COVID-19 in a rear view mirror, but I think it's with us for a little while longer. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be here for a little while. So, well, uh, thank you for your leadership during this time, not only as a part of the AdvaMed leadership team, but uh, also at, at Abbott as well. It's been enjoyable for me to watch and learn from you as we've gone through this. And to experience what Abbott has done is, has been pretty amazing and uh, makes me very proud to be part of that family indirectly. So, you know, Lisa, th- we're recording this in November, and November is uh, Diabetes Awareness Month. And Abbott is also a company that's done amazing things in the diabetes space. As you know, I have a child with type 1 diabetes, and we've sort of seen firsthand the innovation that has really changed her life. And talk about that from your perspective and what Abbott is doing, not only in that space, but during Diabetes Month to promote the need to help patients in this area. Uh, yeah, and I, and I do think there's no question that diabetes is one of the most pressing healthcare issues of our time. In fact, we probably would have been talking a lot more about it the yeah. last two years if we weren't talking about COVID in terms of the, you know, almost pandemic level impact of the disease with over 400 million people around the globe suffering from diabetes. So clearly a major focus of ours in an area that we feel like we're starting to have a, a meaningful impact, but I really do believe we're still just scratching the surface. So the way in which we've approached diabetes has been really trying to first and foremost 
looking at the sort of unmet need as it relates to how patients with diabetes measure their uh, glucose levels, which is right. important, as you know, from your daughter in yep. terms of yep. managing her disease. So historically, you, you needed to prick your finger multiple times today to do that. And that was, you know, at a minimum of an inconvenience, let alone a, a, you know, a pretty significant cost at the end of the day. And what we've been able to develop over the years is a continuous glucose monitor, which is, you know, about the size of a, a quarter, sits on the back of your arm. It's measuring your glucose 24-7. It can provide you alerts if your levels are high or you're, or you're low. And as a person with diabetics and as a father of a diabetic, you know yeah. exactly how important that information to have is to have in a very timely basis. And I think what we've done differently there with our Libre system is really focus on not just the technology and the accuracy, but also the the ease of use of the product itself. In fact, I think one of the engineers said, hey, our guiding principle was to make it like Fisher Price-like. And I think we're about the same age. You know what a Fisher-Price toy is. I'm not sure the kids of today know that, but it really is just that easy. So it's ease of use, but it's also around affordability and access. And so that's been, I think, an area. And as we think about Diabetes Awareness Month, you know, A, want to ensure that people with diabetes and and their family members and care providers understand what's available to help them live fuller and better lives. But we also want to make sure that we're doing all that we can to drive access and affordability. So just even as it relates to the design of the product, Scott, you know, we designed it in such a way that it can be mass produced. So it wasn't just the product itself. It was the manufacturability around it. It was the cost of materials so that we're literally, you know, a third of the price of other sensors that are out there. And that's so important, not just here in the U.S., but to ensure the technology can be accessed around the globe. Yeah, it's so true. And and particularly for type 1 diabetics, I think, in underserved communities, having access to continuous glucose monitors uh, not only improves the way they manage their disease, but I'm convinced if everyone has access to that, the long-term complications associated with high and low blood sugars dramatically declines, and the cost of the system is going to go down not to mention the enhancements of an individual's life, right, as a result of having access to that. And so I really applaud the work you're doing. The affordability issue, the accessibility issue is just really so important for diabetics, both type 1 and type 2, honestly. Yeah, it's one of the the few things that truly does improve outcomes and lowers overall cost of care. Yeah. Right. And there's no question. And we've seen study after study, whether it be in type one diabetics or type two people using insulin, those without all patients, even, you know, over time, we could see the utilization in pre-diabetics. Like ideally, we could actually intervene earlier in the disease progression so that people could live their life without having to to manage it so closely. So as I said, we're really just scratching the surface. I think at Abbott, we probably have about three and a half million or so users of Libre. So if I think about other medical devices that I'm part of, it's huge numbers. But when I think about the overall uh, prevalence of diabetes, we really right. are just um, in the very early innings and, yeah. and, you know, education around this, you know, partnering with others. And we can talk a little bit about some of the work we're doing with the American Diabetes Association. But um, this is definitely a disease. Just given how prevalent it is, it, it's going to take a village to yeah. really ch- change the course of the disease. And it's dramatic, Lisa, in the 10 years, 11 years that my daughters have had diabetes, 
the difference in the way that we manage her disease from when she was diagnosed to today is night and day. I mean, it just is unbelievable. And people who are getting it now, right, type one in our case, the people we know and talk to, as painful and as horrifying as it is to see a child suffer with that, it's so much easier to manage now, thanks to the work that yeah. you're doing and even, so many other yeah. companies. Even if it's something as simple as you being able to sleep through the night, right? Oh, my gosh. I yeah. mean, what a change for you. I'm assuming, yeah. you know, earlier on without the benefit of continuous glucose monitors and alarms and those types of things, you couldn't do that safely or yeah, certainly right. with the peace of mind that a CGM yeah. gives you. There was no sleepovers back in the day, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, you couldn't do that. It was waking up at 2.30 in the morning every night, check her blood sugar with the glucose monitor, give her a shot if she needed a shot. And, you know, most of that is gone now. And it's just remarkable, not only for her, but for parents and everyone. So just so proud of the work that you are doing. So thankful for it as well. Talk about the work you're doing with ADA. You mentioned that, Lisa, as well, the American Diabetes Association and the partnership you've de developed with them. A great organization, right, and the work that they're doing for patients. And that collaboration is really important to see a company like Abbott partner with a nonprofit patient-focused group like ADA to really improve uh, collaboration and outcomes as well. Yeah, we initiated the partnership on health equity with ADA a year or two ago. And so it was really in the focus saying, you know, we can develop the best technology, but alone we will only be able to move the needle so right. far, right? And so we have very much aligned interest in terms of ensuring there's access and affordability around the world and specifically with ADA in communities. And in fact, just this month, um, we announced a, a, a local partnership trying to, to demonstrate how access to health technology can it really help benefit underserved communities. To your point earlier, it's a disease that, you know, impacts all comers, um, but actually has a, has a greater probability of impacting people of color, for example. And so right. we've launched an initiative. It's actually the first joint community initiative with under the Health Equity Now umbrella with the American Diabetes Association in Columbus. So um, we're really focusing on how do we give access to the community and, and people with diabetes in need to really demonstrate uh, improved outcomes. So we're really yeah. excited about this and, you know, hope it's just this, a start of many more investments we can make in the community together. That's great because the pandemic brought to light, I think, uh, two things. One, some of the challenges we have in certain pockets of our country about access to the healthcare system, right? And it became very obvious. And then it also showed the need for more communication between doctor and patient outside of a normal doctor office environment, right? Both of those things really have stood out. We've tried to tackle that issue to some degree at AdvaMed. How can we do a better job understanding the healthcare needs of everyone, right? Regardless of their income status or their health status. And the work that you all are doing that as in that area as a company is just very impressive. Yeah, there's no question. Lots of learnings from the pandemic. And I would say probably one of the most impactful for me, having been in healthcare about 30 years, is really the disparities in access to, to care and innovation. And, right. you know, I'm just proud that we're able to make, you know, a difference, whether it be in diabetes, whether it be, gosh, what we've done with rapid testing on COVID. There's a lot of different areas where we've just really focused on getting that technology to where and, and when it's needed. So thinking forward a little bit, Lisa, as we as we wrap this up, you've done so much as uh, an organization to innovate in the healthcare space. 
When you look forward, what are you most excited about? Not a technology specific, but the opportunity to impact healthcare in a, in a positive way in the next five or 10 years under your leadership at uh, Abbott? You know, Scott, what I'm most excited about as it relates to innovation in healthcare is the role that the consumer is going to play in an increasing role. We saw this in the pandemic time, which I think is great in terms of the engagement of the consumer as a patient, as a consumer of healthcare. In a way, you know, I had never spoken with, you know, colleagues and friends who seemed so interested and in, committed to understanding whether it be what kind of test should I get, what vaccine should I get, right. um, how do we get the information, how do we translate data, which we have more of them we know what to do with, right, in the healthcare right. industry. How do we translate the data to information to insight? So I think this consumerism of healthcare is just going to accelerate sort of digital solutions and, right. and really sort of transfer, you know, transforming how we're able to engage the consumer in very different ways and sort of meeting them where and when they need it with the information right. that is digestible. So right. it's really an exciting time as I think about it's probably like the digitization, if you will, of, of healthcare. It's, it's probably more of a broader theme than it is of a specific technology. But it's amazing to think what the pandemic was able to show, what was possible, even right. with something as simple as telehealth, which, you know, I've been talking right. about in my career. It's been, you know, a possibility for a couple of decades. And it was amazing what the pandemic, this might be just one small silver lining of the yeah, of, of right. COVID-19 is that it showed us what was possible. We were forced to live it, right, in many cases, to do our doctor's visits and engage with a, a professional in the healthcare space. It just required something different. And it's been a great learning. And I think I agree with you, hopefully something that carries over for many years to come. Lisa, it's interesting, reflecting back on the beginning of our conversation, Beginning your career in the technology space, informational technology space with Dell, and now at this stage of your career in the medical technology space, that really has allowed you to bring together two really powerfully innovative industries to innovate for patients in the future. And uh, what an exciting time to, to lead Abbott, given your background. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm thrilled to be out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, because it really is in the heart of technology. And, and we, you know, we're, we're at the point in healthcare that, you know, we're not going to be able to do it alone. And, and I do think it will take a village. And, you know, there's right. great things that the technology industry brings to the table. There's a real deep understanding of healthcare in the complexities and the regulatory environment that we bring to the table as an industry and specifically med tech. But I think the door has really opened for us to work together more collaboratively and to, to advance technology and innovation in a way that we haven't seen for years. Let me close with one final question because it, it strikes me, I have a daughter who at some point wants to be like you probably, right, Lisa? I mean, she aspires to, to lead and, and to challenge herself and to do things that are remarkable. As you think about young girls coming up in the industry, young women who have graduated from college or graduate school and want to get into the med tech space, what advice would you particularly give to them about, about your path and what they can learn from how you've grown and been successful in the industry? Yeah, a couple of things. I think the importance of a STEM education can't be underestimated. I just think especially with, as we were just talking about the role of technology moving forward, it's only going to become 
more important as an industry. Yeah. And so really having that fundamentals is going to be be important because things are moving very quickly. And it's amazing. If you like to be a lifelong learner, this is the place to be, right? This yeah, is the right. industry. And then I think it's really putting yourself out there and, and being, you know, taking risks and being uncomfortable, right? As I right. said, like this industry is complex. There's, and, and whether this be if you're, you're male or female, I think it's similar in that, you know, we all need to sort of embrace that complexity and, and kind of go for it, right? Because it can be intimidating for folks who aren't in this industry, who want to, to move into the industry. I realize we sometimes speak in code. We're a unique place because we have to be really yeah. deep in clinical. We have to right. understand technical. We have to understand regulatory. And oh, by the way, you eventually need to sell something, right? Right, right. And so the complexity of doing that encouraged, I think we've come a long way in terms of, in particular, in terms of women in MedTech, but we still have a long way to go. We have quite a bit of work to go. Where I'm encouraged, though, is we're starting to have the conversations. We're starting to recognize where we may be coming up short. We're really, I think, both as an industry and then as, as companies really trying to you know, focus, whether it be on our recruiting, whether it be on our professional development, our mentoring is, is making sure that we're doing all we can to create an uh, inclusive and diverse environment. Well, we've enjoyed working with you at Avimed, Lisa, watching your uh, growth. The trajectory has been so impressive. And so, we're uh, grateful for your time today, for your service to Advomat, and for your leadership in this industry. So thanks for taking time to be with us. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott. All right. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of MedTech POV. For more information and to subscribe to our podcast, go to advomed.org slash podcast. You can also subscribe through your favorite streaming platform. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of MedTech POV. Be